0: everyone and welcome to the sex ed podcast this is kaylee and this is jen today we are talking to nat
1: from trans fat sex education on instagram where they post a ton of amazing content around gender and sexuality it's really really amazing stuff we hope you enjoy it it is very informative and very interesting and we're really excited about it
0: yeah enjoy Thank you so much for being here today. We're really excited to talk to you.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to be here.
0: Cool. So we like to start off with asking everyone what their pronouns and sexuality are. So could you please share your pronouns and sexuality?
2: Yeah, right now my pronouns are they and he pronouns interchangeably. And my sexuality, I generally just go with the umbrella term queer.
1: hmm I like that your pronouns right now are something. Yeah. They could always change. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Cool. Cool. Been there.
0: That is cool to hear because I think a lot of our guests say that about their sexuality, but I don't know that we've had anyone say that about their pronouns.
2: Yeah. I think more and more we have to get used to talking about sexual fluidity has been kind of a conversation for a while where like, gender fluidity has been more and more like gotten vocabulary that community can share across, I think largely because of social media. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, it's like a little behind, because really the sexual revolution quote unquote (laughs) Mm -hmm. happened in like the sixties where like the gender revolution and like talking about trans people and actually acknowledging their existence, like even the word transgender didn't come out until the nineties. So it's like, a little bit behind, but I think it needs to be more of like a normalized thing of like gender and sexuality, both being like fluid and moving.
0: Yes. We're here for it. We're here for it. So can you tell us a little bit about how you learned about sex growing up?
2: Yeah. So I had two older sisters that were like eight, nine years older than me. Wow. I definitely learned a lot about sex Mostly from them because they were like teenagers when I was in like early middle school. Yeah. And it's interesting because both of my sisters actually experienced child sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. So like my experience of understanding sex was always one that was very distrustful and kind of laden with sex being about power in some way and an exchange that you have to accept. Mm-hmm. My sister, when I was pretty young, I would say around the same age time, she was about, she was like exactly 16, started getting a lot of flashbacks from childhood abuse from her father, who's different than my father. Mm -hmm. And I overheard a lot of things I probably shouldn't have at a young age Mm -hmm. because she was really struggling with mental health and going in and out of hospitals. And so I think I've been starting to realize more and more that a lot of what I imagined of sex was something to fear from my perspective, I think.
0: yeah I mean,
2: I never had any conversation about sex ed in school and my mom definitely felt like, oh, well, your sisters will talk about it with you sometimes. <laughs> You're like that was how birth control was introduced to me. was like, nice. well, talk to your
0: sisters. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know? Like yeah. the siblings help with the chores and they take over the sex ed for the younger kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, older sisters being older sisters, they just thought, like in some ways it was a lot of jokes about sex and things like that. Like they'd make me like go up to my mom and be like, what is a carpet muncher? And they'd oh. like, you have, you have to ask mom that. And my parents would be horrified. Oh um, my God. Of course. So cool. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So that was definitely in there. <laughs>
1: Sorry, that's super funny. It is so funny. I, <laughs> yeah. I love that your mom still thought it was, like, cool for them to teach you sex ed. They were like, yeah, that's a good enough job. That's fine.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then when it got to there, they were like, oh, maybe this isn't good.
0: <laughs> the teenager's version of sex, giving sex ed to someone younger is just, like, cover. You know, covering all the naughty terms. <laughs> hey, but at least it was, you know... Uh, potentially inclusive, you know, female right. pleasure and lesbians.
1: Look, did you did you <laughs> learn or not learn what a carpet muncher was? Okay, like you you figured it out. I did.
2: I did. Did your mom tell you? No, no. I, it was it was definitely a while after I was forced to ask my mom. <laughs> my sisters actually, like in a weird way, before I even knew I was gay, definitely knew I was mm. gay and were like, "Oh, you're just like a little lesbian," and they have gay friends and would like. They took me, I grew up in California for like the first Prop 8 protest Mm -hmm. for like marriage equality Mm -hmm. and stuff. I was around a lot of weirdness, but it was, I was still so ashamed of my sexuality at the same time. Mm -hmm. I didn't come out until college. But yeah, I mean, to go back to sex ed too, I think another major component other than my siblings was porn Mm -hmm. and like HBO's weird softcore (laughs) porn that would come on at like 4 a.m., You know, when you're a kid with insomnia, there yes, it is. Yeah, I just
1: had like a, a vivid flashback to that. I used to do the, watch the same stuff. Yeah. I have clients who bring it up and I'm like, it's totally okay that you did that. <laughs> I did that as but
2: well. But it was like very soft
1: core. <laughs> It was like women in bikinis, like taking off their tops and stuff. It was like very, yeah. Oh my God. really slow. Yeah. A
2: lot of just like bad. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Weird music. No one ever talked really. Anyway. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, the
1: music was really bad. Yeah, it was even bad oh, for like that like, time. It was just give like, me
0: an example. Sing.
1: <laughs> I, there weren't words to it. It was like porn music, like yeah. like it porn yeah.
0: music. Yeah, but like Is slower. Oh, like b- slowed b- down. B- yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have a career here. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> okay, so it sounds like siblings and, and porn. Media no school. Porn, yeah. yeah. Media. Not really anything at home. That's the American experience. <laughs> well, hold on.
1: D- did you want to step at school? You said, I know you've said previously that you went to a somewhat conservative yeah. school.
2: Yeah. Well, in high school, our health class was mostly about honestly not smoking cigarettes because <laughs> it was California and they're really anti-cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was a lot of worksheets about cigarettes. And then there was one day someone from Planned Parenthood came in and they showed us just pictures of genitals with different horrible, mm. like the worst case scenario of S T D situations. Yeah. And I vividly remember they like were talking about semen and everything. And I vividly remember when they were like, Does anybody have questions? And this girl like raised her hand and was like, um, I'm asking this for my friend, but like, why does cum taste salty? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I swear that was like the only thing I brought back was like, well, depends on my diet, you know? <laughs> it was like
1: all I remember other than the horrible pictures. Wow. <laughs> I don't even know how to answer that with a straight face. Kudos to that Planned Parenthood.
0: I love the phrasing of it. <laughs> asking for a friend. <laughs> I'm asking this for a friend, but why is there hair on my vagina?
1: always asking for a friend you know (laughs) (laughs) okay so it doesn't seem as very comprehensive
2: no not not at the very like Mm. at least at all
1: so when did you start to like learn about gender and sexuality and queerness and all of that how did you educate yourself on that stuff
2: i'd say my first resource was tumblr Mm. Tumblr was definitely where I was at all the time. And there were so many people that were like small people on Tumblr that you didn't really, the amount of followers was considered so different versus like Instagram and every and Twitter now. And now they're like icons. But yeah, that's where I learned a lot about like gender, sexuality, and also like fat positivity mm-hmm. and like getting into fat liberation work, which really impacted my sexuality for sure because. Growing up being like seen as a fat girl all my whole life, I had a lot of bullying and there was a lot mm-hmm. of stuff with like even like guys that would message me like violently sexual stuff, Oof. like text me that. And then like at school, be like, oh, I don't want to talk to you. And like, yeah. I had so much shame for my body, especially with porn that you would see. I almost think it's worse than today, which uh, you know, in regards to like free porn that people can have Mm -hmm. access to, where it was just so much plastic bodies, super thin,
1: huge boobs, like just. But it was like the same that same body over and over and over again. It's like, aren't you fucking bored of this? Isn't anyone bored of this?
2: And it was even like people getting on all fours. I was like, I don't know what my body looks like if I was on all fours. Maybe it's really like you know, there's no conception of what a body like yours could look like. And I mean. In regards to TV, if like someone was having sex with a fat girl, it was usually like the butt right. of a joke and like how gross or some kind of like yeah. drunken mistake, you know, and some
1: like weird fetish. Yeah, even
2: that like ha- wanting to have sex with a fat person is a fetish. Is wild when statistically most people are over the size of eighteen, right. like size eighteen pants. If they're if we're doing women sizes, mm-hmm. right? You really just fed this lie that like people like you are gonna have sex and don't enjoy it. And- And I also think there was a lot when I first started having sex about feeling like I shouldn't get pleasure Mm. from it. It was more about like the other person's Mm -hmm. pleasure. And I think especially because I started dating boys and like heterosexual relationships in high school, I didn't start coming out until Mm -hmm. college.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting you bring that up. I think there's a lot of weird overlap in like the sex education and health spaces and like you said, how, how bodies are presented. So you're already sort of in this like very vulnerable place, trying to learn about your body and your sexuality and the the normal questions of like, does my body function and look like that? And when it's obvious that your body doesn't function and look like that, there's like a whole other (laughs) layer of shame. I I'm also fat. And so I had a lot of the similar shame and learning to overcome all of that as well. So.
2: Yeah, it's definitely like continuous work the messaging doesn't stop like now it's not bullies yelling at your face but now it's just like it's to even like streamlining your media Mm -hmm. to see fat bodies can be really hard and so many fat bodies are blocked from sharing anything where you actually see their skin and their roles and like the beauty that is within like
1: fatness. you know
0: it sounds a little bit like all of these things together you know coming to terms with your your gender and your sexuality and your body are all interconnected so it's like when you start questioning or pushing it back against the norms of one they kind of you know all these things that were there maybe started to peel away and you found your connection with 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 you with yourself yeah <laughs> i would love to hear about what that process of unlearning things that are deeply ingrained into our society to uncover who you really are what is that like Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say it's Mm -hmm. fun
2: or that it's something that brings a lot of friends. (laughs) (laughs) True. Um, But it is something, I mean, not to sound cliche, but it's really about, it was about like building a relationship with myself Mm -hmm. finally and like seeing myself as an individual rather than this like body I was moving around places. Mm -hmm. And I think as I started getting more okay, with my fatness and starting to feel the power of like, okay, when I call myself fat, then I then it's like they don't have anything to say. You know, it's like even with doctors will just like drop their jaws if you call yourself fat. There's the end of the conversation of whatever I'm gonna get told about myself or like harassed Mm -hmm. with. But once I started accepting my body, I definitely started feeling more and more okay with my queerness. Even though I dated guys in high school like Porn wise and what I wanted to see was largely like Mm -hmm. women. It was lesbian porn and it was, I was very ashamed of that. And I remember like having this thought like, oh, I could just marry some guy and like have kids and live a normal life. And then he'll just die early because usually men die early. (laughs) And then (laughs) I can like buy all the like Girls Gone Wild VHS tapes I want and it'll be great. You know,
1: (laughs) Such a specific, weird fantasy and I love it. You're like, I'm going to marry a coal miner so that they get black lives at 32 <laughs> yeah. and, and I can live.
2: I still want a family <laughs> and then I can live my dream as an older person when they don't
0: look at you hey, that much. Yeah. You and know? your dream isn't even to like go date a bunch of women after they die. It's
1: just to watch porn, <laughs> just to get girls gone wild of all things.
2: Which is like not even good porn. No,
0: it's I
1: mean. like the like straight- and- porn water on their Yeah. Turf. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: That's cute. Oh, it's that's, honestly that's cute. So cute.
1: I love it. <laughs> it's like oddly, it's like not innocent, but innocent at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <Yes.
0: laughs>
1: How's that working out for you? <laughs> yeah, look at you now. Like you didn't even, you didn't even need to. Have, get married to have a I career. didn't make it that
2: long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't make it that long for those oh, goals. Uh, I went to a woman, like a historical woman's college, Bryn Mawr. Okay. And. Mm-hmm there, I definitely was surrounded by a lot of queer people and met trans and non-binary people. And that's when, like, it was still intimidating for me to come out as trans, but I definitely was more comfortable coming out as queer and had this really negative experience with the health clinic at my college where they were like, they emailed everyone who had over a certain limit of BMI that like they needed to be on this new fitness group and all this horrible stuff that they were monitoring your weight. What? And it was really angering. And I think my anger is definitely what has pushed me to come out in all those different parts of my life. Mm-hmm. My anger of being like so frustrated about how I'm forced to like navigate the world or what I'm experiencing. And I think even with my sexuality, it was a lot of my anger of just feeling like I had to keep playing a routine. And I think that was the same with gender. It was another performance for all, for all of yeah. it. Yeah, and even with being fat, I mean, for a long time, before I was okay with calling myself fat, I even would be like, "Oh, I can never like admit what my size is, or like that I realize that I'm bigger," you know. And I had this dream, but, like this fear that I'm going to be with someone and maybe we start hooking up, and then if my clothes come off, they're going to realize I'm fat. And then I came to the terms that like they're going to see I'm fat before the clothes <laughs> are off, you know, <laughs> and that like it's not something that I that like the fear that I have about it and like the anger that was coming up from like. The limitations I was experiencing for myself, I think, is what really pushed it.
1: Yeah, has that
0: felt like with accepting fatness or queerness or transgenderness? Are you at this place now where you're just constantly at peace, or do you? Is it something you have to still work on every day?
2: Oh, it's definitely constant work. I work one on one with clients, and a lot of them tend to be like trans and slash or fat. And it's a lot of similar conversations around like how it's a constant mm-hmm. push. And I think when I came out as trans and especially like identifying as masculine of center, I experienced a loss of community in regards to the fat to a large part of like the body acceptance, fat positivity community, because there is this like push to be hyper feminine, if you're fat and it's like mm-hmm. constant. And I was constantly trying to like be that. And then when I stopped being that, it was like, oh, well now, now if you're considered like masculine of any kind, you're supposed to just ignore that fat phobia is affecting your Mm -hmm. life. Even though like people are still experiencing the same amount of harassment and discrimination within like health services and employment and things like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of body positive and fat positive spaces have not done a lot of reflection on the other inequalities that they hold up. Like you said, you have to still be performing hyper femininity in a lot of the spaces and that's a, it's a way of getting acceptance, right? Like I'm fat, but I also am very pretty, so you can still desire me and it's fine. Yeah,
2: exactly. I feel like I was always pushed into like wanting to wear
1: 1950s outfits and
2: be retro. It's like, I don't know why that. inch waist and like big skirts and
1: stuff. exactly yeah like so you're still you still are forcing yourself to this very hourglass figure like an acceptable kind of fat right yes yeah and there's also so many other ways in which bodies can be not the norm quote-unquote like you know rights for disabled people and neurodivergent Mm -hmm. people and all that that are also not really looked at in the the body positivity movement so I know that there's like a shift towards fat liberation which I think you identify with a lot lot more perhaps than body positivity and like body neutrality which is like bodies are just bodies and yourself is inside them (laughs) and that's the important part (laughs) so
2: yeah it was interesting too because at least I was mostly in the queer women Mm -hmm. lesbian community in like a very general sense and I found it to be pretty accepting of like larger bodies although like representation wise it's all it was always very thin feminine Mm -hmm. people but then when I came out as trans I was pretty shocked by the amount of fat phobia that's in the trans community, especially trans. Like I know more of course about the trans masculine Mm -hmm. community because of my experience. And it was just, it's like constantly flooding of like, how many pushups are you doing a day? How are you getting your pecs bigger and your biceps bigger and your thighs bigger? And these are the ways you can masculinize your body. Uh And like, I support anybody getting this gender-affirming surgery, and I think that's life-saving things that should be covered. But now it's expanded where there's gender-affirming surgeries where you're getting liposuction on your stomach and hips. Those are both places that, well, hips are bones, (laughs) so it's not really going to change like the shape of your bones. And also... What does it mean to have gender affirming surgeries that only work for thin trans people? Mm. It it just becomes more and more that masculinity is attaining thinness. Mm. And I think trans women experience a lot of the like femininity is attaining thinness. And you get stuck in the circle where you're like, well, I guess everything points to me needing to be thin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know,
1: (laughs) thin Um, or like the being a super, super thin waist, but huge boobs and huge butt, it's like still unattainable, right? So you're like getting lipo in your stomach and fat injections, other places. It's like always unattainable, (laughs) whether it's quote unquote heroin chic or voluptuous. Yeah. It's like working outside
0: of accepted norms if you're trans or queer or whatever, but then still trying to attain the classic standards of beauty or masculinity. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's like a really interesting space. I mean, I've been thinking a lot more and actually saw some research that was just recently shared about the interconnectedness of gender dysphoria and body mm-hmm. dysmorphia and how it can be hard to like go through those threads when you're actually like, I'm experiencing dysphoria because of gender, because we've now interlaced gender and the thin white yeah. able-bodied mm-hmm. archetype. Wow. Well, yeah. That is definitely a
1: mess to try to untangle for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's,
0: I don't know if it'll ever be untangled. <laughs> right, right. How do you do that? Is it therapy and self reflection? And <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I mean, I definitely struggle
2: with it. Like, I just recently got a surgery date for top surgery. And even deciding to go through top surgery, I had like, it took two years of deep conversations with myself of like, where is the line in this of like removing fat? Because there are a lot of cis men who do Mm -hmm. have breasts and do have larger chests. And am I still going for this ideal? And I think I really had to weigh my options. Okay. Like how much does this affect my life, my navigating the world and like my ability to even leave Mm -hmm. my house Mm -hmm. and like to, to realize how important it was. But when talking to cis people, especially cis people who have known me for so long as like being body positive, although I definitely identify now more calibrationist. But because of that, I think I got questioned a lot, even by my mom of like, well, you're supposed to be accepting your body the way it is. I'm also intersex, which Mm. is a whole other thing. And so like I grew chest hair at like 16 and all this other stuff. So I was like constantly shaving my body and doing things like that to like fit in and, and I stopped shaving. And so my mom kind of understood that as like, oh, you're accepting you. And then when it was like, well, now I want hormones and to get top surgery. And it's like, well, now you're just like, aren't you going against mm. all this that like you've been having a mustache and you've been saying like all these things about like accepting your body and now all of a sudden you want to change it. And I think it's just something that cis people might mm. never understand until they become trans later, mm. you know? And it's really hard to put in words that you can still love and accept your body, but still need gender affirming care. And I, I kind of realized for myself that it was, A lot to do with how I'm forced to navigate the world and like my personal safety um, in regards to like showing my body hair and like when I go places. Mm -hmm. And I became so aware that everywhere I went, it was looking right at my chest to like gender me, you know?
1: That is Um, really important. I was thinking that as well, that like part of being trans or non-binary or gender non-conforming in any way is, especially if you present that way, is the safety aspect. Like it is safer to quote unquote pass or, or have yeah. gender characteristics of the gender that you are presenting as. So there's definitely that aspect yeah. to it that cis people will never understand for sure.
2: Yeah. And especially since I'm non-binary, it's like a kind of hard line to draw, it's also like non-binary representation is so thin and like yes. perfectly oh androgynous. My God.
1: Tell me about it.
2: <laughs> I know. I'm like, am I not non-binary because I'm masculine? And then I'm like, no, because non-binary is nothing and everything. <laughs> exactly. <You know? laughs> I feel that same way
1: because I present very feminine and I'm like, who am I trying to fool sometimes? Right. And like, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> I like, I'm very cis passing, but non-binary and yeah, that can be You can question yourself a lot as well in that in that regard. Like, am I really non-binary? I I don't know.
2: Yeah, I think I get that the most from like non-binary and trans clients is like, am I even trans enough or non-binary enough? I like to really work with clients on like seeing the macro versus the micro, which what I consider more of stuff that might be affecting you individually, which could be more like supported through therapy Mm -hmm. versus the macro of okay, you're living in a world that's transphobic, like a society Mm -hmm. that's transphobic. So this is something. That is more about them than it is about you and your ability to perform to a standard because the reality is they don't even have a standard because they don't want anybody to reach Mm non-binary. Especially with using they, them pronouns and things like there's a point where you kind of have to accept that you will almost always experience misgendering in this lifetime probably. But at the same time, realize that it's important to learn ways to be compassionate for yourself while you're doing that. And, And not just like, making it so like, oh, I'm just going to take the knife all the time and I'm just going to walk it off, you know? Mm -hmm. And instead being like, okay, I'm going to take a breather and like, where's a way that it will make me feel good. Whether it be like looking at a picture of myself, asking for um, affirmations from like loved ones, just like having moment to yourself to like collect your thoughts and really like process that like, it's fucked up and it's hard and it's, it's mean sometimes like it definitely can be intentional and constant, Mm -hmm. but it's not something that sadly, we can control because it is the macro.
1: Yeah. That's a good perspective for sure. Reminder. Do you feel
0: positive about the future as far as younger generations being more accepting of different pronouns and genders and trans people?
2: Yeah. I I think what really gave me hope in some ways, and sadness in the others, uh, was uh, an internship I had with Planned Parenthood for a while in grad school. Mm-hmm. It was right before the pandemic, actually, and then I had to stop it. But in it, we worked with kids starting from like fifth grade. Uh-huh. And Planned Parenthood goes in Philadelphia to schools that don't have health centers and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of like mix of like charter and smaller schools versus like public schools can sometimes still have like health educators as a part of them, even if it's like part, part time. Mm-hmm. But in those classes, talking to kids, it was mind boggling the things they knew. I mean, fifth grade boys were just like, what's non-binary? Can you tell me and explain it to me? And I was like, "What? Wow. Yes, of course. <laughs> you know, like I had no idea what that was, even like the term existing when I was like fifth grade, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I worked with like some LGBT youth groups and it was like, I was around all these middle schoolers and they were all like trans or non-binary or questioning and like very queer. And like, it was just so beautiful to see them just like existing in themselves when it was like, at that time I was so focused yeah. on like the performance rather than literally existing as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I think like I cried definitely after like my, the first support group. Cause I was just like, holy shit, the things people can get now with the internet, you know? Yeah, like, yes. I mean, they even make jokes that I'm like, what, like one of them was like, yeah, I can't do math because I'm gay. And I was like, wow, I wish someone told me that <laughs> when I was younger because I really can't do math. <laughs> and I couldn't have had an excuse.
1: <laughs> yeah, like this is homophobic right here, this math yeah, lesson.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you were there to like counsel them, but it sounds like they were counseling you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well,
2: that's what I love about my work in general. Like I run a support group and do one-on-one sessions now and also work with neurodivergent folks through a nonprofit that I'm a teacher through. Mm -hmm. It's really when you're working with other trans and queer people and even other fat people, like it's very healing and it's a different kind of care and relationship you can build when you're sitting with people and you know, you're kind of in the same space, Mm -hmm. even though I'm, you know, a sex educator and supposedly an expert, whatever that means (laughs) in sex and gender, being able to sit with other trans people and like, even talk about my own fears about top surgery or like be relieved by the stories they tell Mm -hmm. me that are similar to myself. Mm -hmm. I think with navigating the world as a trans person, especially, and even as a queer person, you're constantly in this weird power dynamic with cishet people like being the ones in charge. Mm -hmm. And with trans people, it's like, you know, all the support groups, all the research, the medical stuff is all led by cis people. Yeah. You know, it's not, because we're not even given access. I mean, I knew so many trans people who could barely make it through like school for social work to be a therapist, you know, because of the harassment. Mm -hmm. And that's something happening now, you know? It's so hard to even just be with each other. And I think there's this book called Care Work by Leah Lakshmi, and in it, she talks a lot about how like trans and disabled people both have this like reliance on a medical system that's always out to kill them at the same time. Mm-hmm. And understanding that nuance is something that can't really be taught and is definitely not in the books that that people are reading in college, mm-hmm. unless they're getting self published books on their own. Yeah. You know, I mean, I went to the one school that gives you a master's in sex education in the U.S. and the whole time I was screaming at the top of my lungs about the inclusions of trans and queer people. Mm-hmm. And this is like the premier institution of change. Which institution was this? <laughs> Widener. Oh, okay. And a lot of people have graduated, like Erica Hart, and Sonali Roshwater, the fat sex therapist, wow. and stuff like that. And they were the people who definitely fought a system that was hard at work. I mean, it was so transphobic, and our histories and experiences were so excluded yeah. from like. Learning anything. I mean, I don't even trust all the people I graduated with to be able to talk to queer people without mm-hmm. causing harm.
1: Yeah. It's so crazy having I mean, to work in, within that system that you're saying like that works against Yeah. You. Like how?
2: Yeah. And it's, it's really weird because then I'd meet cishet people who are like in the program with me who are like, my specialization is with LGBT people. And I'm like, your specialization, like we're just like some cool <laughs> <We're>, topic. <right. laughs> I'm like, I'm just trying to work with other people like me, okay? <laughs> like, so I can maybe get my pronouns correctly
1: <laughs> said, you know? It's so that's so yeah. crazy to me because, and and granted, I I had to learn a lot of this on my own, and it's been a special awakening, a realization to realize that like queer history is also my history and to feel connected to that because obviously I was not taught any of that in school, but how much sex education and sex positivity was created, pushed for by queer people, largely trans Mm -hmm. people, largely trans people of color. Like we invented this shit, okay? We're not a fucking special interest group. Yes, and sex workers, exactly.
2: And it's like all of them are the ones that are the most excluded. Right, Mm -hmm. Sex workers are always pushed out of the sexuality field when the majority of people have learned about sex through sex workers and the
0: work that they do.
1: so true. Yeah, exactly. Learned about it, but also them them pushing like safer sex practices and understanding yeah. of sexuality, normalizing things that were not, like previously not normalized, like they Yeah. We have done all this work for y'all <laughs> and you treat us like a special interest group. Yeah. So, how do you talk to people who are perhaps not understanding of different, you know, non-binary genders or queer sexualities? Yeah especially if you yourself are queer or, or trans. Um. Yeah.
2: Even with myself being a sex educator and like a gender, what I consider as like a gender educator too. Talking to my parents about my own gender is like, blah, 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 uh, I mean, I'm not <laughs> binary. Uh, I just, I need this surgery. You know? <laughs> right. right. Um, and And that's just because it's so emotional because it's like, our gender and sexuality, like first, we've been so shamed about it, but also it's like something we really hold dear with ourselves and it's really mm-hmm. vulnerable. But in general, talking about it, I think it's always being open to figure out your own limitations of like how much energy you have, what you're doing and prepping yourself for maybe needing some time to decompress and process afterwards is important. Even when you're teaching strangers, like I I don't like to center my work primarily on teaching cishet people. Mm although like I will do that work and would do that willingly and have done that. Mm -hmm. But I do that. I say that mostly because I think that as a trans sex educator, you're almost automatically like your work is to work with cishet people so they can understand you. And then it gets lost in these like presentations that become all these like narrow definitions that then like, I think actually harm the community more then do good because I, everybody's like, well, I'm not exactly like this definition of bisexuality or trans or non-binary, like this one person wrote. So does that mean I'm not, I like, I can't identify that way. Mm -hmm. And, and the answer is always no, because it's, you can use
1: whatever words you want to. I I really identify with that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I came out as non-binary pretty recently. And so I've, I've been like finding myself in discussions with people and I don't have the words to like describe why I'm non-binary because I never had to tell people why I was cis. I never had yeah. the language exactly. around gender like that. So I've been really struggling and being like, I don't even know who I am. <laughs> yeah. And you know, sometimes
2: it's just that like, we don't even have language for it. That's always verbal or always mm-hmm. written out in these ways that people expect. And like, with the definitions things, I mean, people so often are like, well, please define your sexuality (laughs) or please define your gender and how it feels every moment of your day. And especially if you're trans, you're supposed to always be like, well, since I was two years old, I played with trains and trucks. And then like, I just knew and like, (laughs) and everything fits right. And is perfect now. And it's like, (laughs) it's just not the case. I mean, at every step of the way, it's scary. You know, if you decide to do gender affirming things, or if you don't, yeah, having to come out all the time, whether queer or trans is really exhausting and vulnerable. I think we need to stop trying to conform gender and sexuality to like Mm. these ways of communication, because I think so much more comes into the communication of what can be built through intimacy, you know, Mm. which not everybody's And your life gets to have access to that. Yeah. yeah. I think what I would always suggest for people who want their family or like loved ones or just people around them to learn more is to definitely find ways to talk about things that don't have to be like definitions, but might just be more of feelings and ways to navigate the world as a queer person. And I Mm -hmm. think that's how we like humanize it.
0: Do you have any advice on the flip side of that for cisgendered people to be supportive and good allies to gender non conforming people?
2: I would say to be intentional about the media that you are consuming and like support trans and non binary creators, mm-hmm. whether it be for like making earrings or like talking about political conversations or to conversations directly about gender. I think including trans people and being intentional about like finding trans and non binary people within the world is important. Mm-hmm.
0: I know we are running short on time here. I have one final question. I would love to hear what you think would be a good way to address sex education to be more inclusive of everything we've talked about from fat liberation to transgender people to queerness, like all of it how How can that better be addressed to the youths d- these days? I think to make
2: sex education more inclusive would be to actually support a variety of people with intersectional identities Mm -hmm. teaching sex ed. Mm -hmm. I think so often like the people teaching sex ed are cis, white, thin women who have navigated the world in a very different way. And I totally support women's pleasure. And like the fact that a lot of this was done by like trans women and queer women in regards to having sex, educating, being out there, but Mm -hmm. there's so little diversity in regards to like trans and non-binary educators, even like body diversity, race diversity, ability. Like it's so often just the same voices we're hearing. And because Mm -hmm. of that, you're going to hear the same perspective, but yeah, I think it's important for people to really like intentionally, look out for resources from like small publications, Mm -hmm. zines at like zine markets, listening to just people talk about their own experiences with sex and sexuality and gender can be really a way to learn when you don't have access. I think like Instagram and Twitter and Facebook in general, like that's where sex educators are now being able to finally have some kind of platform through social media. So it's just hard because now it's like people who just like sex or like, I'm a sex educator, but there's like, <laughs> <laughs> there's like more to knowing about like the body and health and like mm. the impact you can have when you're in a room with people and you're seen as a sex educator is like wild, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even <laughs> with like marketing stuff, it's interesting because like the thin cis passing, like women's sex educators get a lot more Likes and shares and like mm-hmm. visibility, especially when they're wearing like lingerie and things like that, yeah. versus like a fat masculine person in clothing, you know? Right, right.
1: Yeah.
2: Online sex education fields a whole mountain to talk about.
1: Yeah. We could craziness. do another podcast on that. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> it shortens to support trans creators, support non binary creators, support education from all different types of people who talk about all different types of things.
0: Yeah everyone that's listening right now, you can easily do exactly what was just prescribed by <laughs> following Nat on Instagram. <laughs> exactly. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about the education work you do and, and your Instagram account and everything?
2: Yeah. So my Instagram handle is at trans fat sex ed, but the E in sex is a three because of shadow banning. Smart. And I To offer one-on-one sessions that can be found through the link in my bio where you can find either a description of what sessions could look like and also a sign-up form. And those sessions can look like hour to 30 minutes and can be uh, bi-monthly or however often to just like talk about navigating the world as like trans person, fat person, queer person, or just learning generally about sexual health and relationships and pleasure. And I also am a co-facilitator for the support and social group called Transitioning Through Apocalypse, which is for trans and gender expansive folks 20 years and older. Uh, It's virtual, free, and can be found at the Instagram trans underscore apocalypse underscore.
1: (laughs) That's an amazing name. That's so epic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Well, Uh, thank you so much for joining us today this i i feel like i need to go like sit down in the shower
1: and think for a while
0: (laughs) in a good way not in a sad way just like a holy fuck
1: (laughs) yeah this was this episode is really amazing i'm so excited to publish it so yeah Mm, thank you thank you
0: (laughs) thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the sex ed podcast again make sure you follow nat's instagram it's one of the best there is (laughs) and yeah as always if you have any questions or want to talk to us you can reach out to us at sexedpod at gmail.com visit our website sexedpodcast.com and sign up for the goddamn newsletter please
1: there's resources <laughs> things you need to know <laughs> yeah <laughs> kaylee painstakingly puts it together every month it's really full of great stuff also check out our instagram at sexedpodcast. And thank you to Kent, our favorite person, for mastering our sound. Yeah. As always. Bye.
0: <laughs> but I just wanted to say that I'm a stupid baby and I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> audio cut in again right at the right at the exact moment i think your internet might be me might be going in and out but we just we pretty much just heard i'm a yeah baby. that's
2: like it <laughs>